Welcome to the Family, the Law and You podcast, where we aim to break down barriers and make family law more accessible. Family, the law and you. Hello and welcome to season two, episode six of the Family, the Law and You podcast. My name is Lisa Gatchell and I'm Associate Solicitor at Biscoes and I am joined as always by Stephanie Bell Chambers who is a director, head of department and solicitor at Biscoes. Morning, Steph. Morning. Morning. So today we have with us Melanie Tracy. So Melanie is a mortgage and protection advisor at Yes Can Do. She's been working in the financial industry for 12 years. And so we're really pleased that she's she's agreed to come on today and have a chat to us about mortgages in the COVID era. Um, morning, Mel. Morning. Um, so if we could start off, can you give us a bit of background about you, sort of how you started, why you decided to get into mortgages and finances and the type of work that you do? Absolutely. So my background started with a high street bank, um, seeing customers face to face. I then wanted to take the leap into whole of market advice. I felt that that was the very best option for clients. Um, so I joined local firm, Yes Can Do, a family run business um, and gained a lot of experience uh, with the advisors there. And then a few years ago, I decided to make the leap and go self-employed. So I still work up under the banner of Yes Can Do, but I have my own client bank and I look after my own clients. Um, since then, I've grown a nice team. Um, there's myself and three assistants, and I'm also on the hunt for another one at the moment. <laughs> um, and uh, together, we really are able to service our clients to the level that I want. Um, you know, really, the role is mortgage and protection advice, but really, it's handholding and, and explaining every step of the way for my clients. Um, right through to them either picking up the keys to their new house or maybe um, refinancing to pay off some of that debt that's been worrying them for so many years you know we're, we're really there every step of the of the homeowner journey. Wow that that's that's such a long career and I guess when you went self-employed four years ago that you could never envisage where we are now this global pandemic that's completely thrown everything but actually in terms of the housing and the mortgage market there's been you know a real momentum and focus here and we're really grateful for your time today because you're probably so so busy <laughs> as are all of the conveyances everywhere absolutely yes I mean yeah there are several times in my career where I've hoped I'd have a crystal ball and quite often clients expect me to have one <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is something no one could have foreseen um, and and really because obviously that the housing market has been used to keep the economy boosted um, it has you know really this has been an extraordinary few months for, for everyone in this industry and of course as, as with solicitors you know um, there's, there's very uh there's, there's a lot of talks now about after April, we'll all get together and sort of congratulate ourselves for getting through it all. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it'll be April now with the, well, the, yeah. the budgets. I <laughs> yeah, think we may be extending a few more months. To move, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no holidays for you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> we, we will wait with bated breath for that one. But there's, okay. there's so many new schemes now, aren't there, that we, we weren't having before. And who knew the word furlough, you know? Yeah. 12 Absolutely. months ago crikey so um in terms of the furlough scheme then how have mortgage companies been looking at people that have been furloughed is that just a blanket no to being able to get a mortgage or 
Yeah, I mean, these things are changing very frequently. Um, if we look back to sort of this time last year, you know, March time when it was sort of started coming around, um, furlough was looked on very favourably and lenders were considering it as income at that 80% level. However, the second time around, when it was sort of reintroduced, the lenders started looking at it slightly differently. Um, majority of lenders now, if there's any furlough on a payslip, wait until you're back at full work. If we've got some of the part-time furlough, um, they will use your earned income only. Um, and then we've got a couple of lenders that will consider some letters from employers to say, so-and-so will be back on this date, um, and they will underwrite an application on the basis of that. Um, I, I think really at the moment, you know, as much as it's a lot for us to get our heads around, these lenders are lending a lot of money to a lot of people. And so of course they have their own risk. Um, and so they're having to assess actually if they're still furloughed after nine months is their job security now and 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 that's sort of where they're taking their viewpoint that they really need to see that return to work salary now yeah it's really hard isn't it but you can kind of understand it from the lender's position because it's been going on for so long but must be incredibly frustrating for clients that mortgage deals have come to an end that their payments have perhaps gone up they want to remortgage and it's not something that they have necessarily any control over Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of cases at the moment where I'm having to say to clients, you know, whole of market just isn't an option at the moment. So we're going to have to stick where we are, switch you on to a new fixed rate, and then we'll reassess once the, once the world's calmed down a little bit. <laughs> Is there a period of time that the lenders are looking at where someone's been unfurloughed, where, you know, the lender wants to see them unfurloughed for at least three months? Because where we've kind of gone in and out of lockdowns, people have been refurloughed. Yeah. I mean, generally, we want to see that first payslip. However, if we were, let's say, looking at an industry such as travel, an underwriter may look slightly differently on it. Um, they are taking far more of a view on things now. It's not quite so black and white. Um, and they are looking at the actual industry that the individual is involved in. You know, mortgage advisor, of course, that's fine. You know, they know that there's no sort of, there's longevity there. Um, but yes, if it's an industry where there's a little bit of uncertainty, um, then an underwriter may take a view and want to see a little bit more history of, of them being back at work. Okay. So obviously we've had the changes in furlough. What other changes have you seen in the last, um, let's say, 12 months as far as the mortgage market's concerned because of the impact of COVID? Yeah, so I'm getting a lot more first-time buyers coming through that don't need any gifted deposit because they've been saving for 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> they've not been going out. <laughs> the bank of mum and dad are happier. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I wish I had that problem. My Amazon, yeah. <laughs> uh, my Amazon account seems to have gone oh, through the God, roof. Yeah, I don't seem yeah, to I'm be a uh... first name terms with the Amazon delivery driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's one big impact. You know, I'm having a lot of people who are perhaps saying it wasn't our our 12 month plan. We were you know a few years down the road, but because of the impact of us having to stay in and save, we've been able to bring that forward. So that that's a great you know a, a positive to take away from it. Obviously, you've got the impact of self employed. Um, and, and that has been a really big impact. We've got some lenders now that are capping loan to value, so they won't lend more than 60% um, because they're seeing self-employed as such high risk. Again, um, majority of high street lenders are taking a view and would want to be doing a little bit of a deeper dive on, on accounts perhaps, and they want three months bank statements to see that we've got a level of income coming through. Um, the grants are looked at very differently by every lender some lenders would be happy if you've taken the first grant and that's it um, and then other lenders it doesn't matter if they've continued to take the grants it's not a problem 
Um, I think one knock-on effect of the grants is that people didn't necessarily understand they were ticking to say they are being financially impacted, which of course we don't want to be saying that to an underwriter. <laughs> we need to be saying to an underwriter, everything's hunky-dory and everything's ticking along nicely. Mm. So we can't on the one hand say they've been taking the grants, which has meant they have said they are financially impacted. And then on the other hand, say everything's fine. Um, so that has been a little bit of an impact. But I think, you know, if you've taken that first one when everyone sort of went into panic mode and, and, and you know, was very anxious, quite rightly, as to what the future was going to look like, that's not going to be detrimental. If you then continue to take those grants, we may see some issues with being whole of market. Um, but there are lenders out there that will still consider it based on just the grant income. Is that going to be a problem now or a problem further down the line? I'm just thinking that if you're making your mortgage application now, um, you so the grants that you will have obtained in the last 12 months won't be declared until you file your tax return for the next year Absolutely. so they won't so when you're giving is it is it SA SA 302 302 so when you're giving the SA 302s in it's not going to show the grants so is it the case that the mortgage companies are specifically asking these questions or is it that they're looking at bank statements and asking for sort of 12 months bank statements so they can Absolutely. see whether or not the grant payment's Absolutely. gone in? Yeah, so currently it's very different for each lender. Some lenders want the SA302s and then we'll just do a questionnaire with the client. Did you take any of the grants? Are you still taking the grants? Those sorts of things. Um, a lot of lenders now are wanting three months bank statements because I'm saying level of income is back to normal so let's say we had a plumber for example first lockdown couldn't do any work took the first grant now they are able to work still and they're not taking any grants so I'm saying yes they took the first one they were impacted initially but everything's back to normal now I then can provide three months bank savings to prove their level of income matches their last year's SA302 for example mm. moving on down the line even the lenders don't know how they're going to take it at the moment yeah. I had um I had a, a, a very similar um, webinar with um, a high street lender last week and they themselves said we don't know how we're going to decide the impact of this yet obviously those grants are still part of the SA302 part of net profit for sole traders um, and so they will be classed as income you know so we will see some level of income um, but yeah that, that's still a, a wait and see watch this space and do you think most of the lenders are on the same page and dealing with these situations the same or no. <laughs> no. So no. that just makes life even harder, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> as I say, so, some lenders are capping it at 60% loan to value, which of course your first time buyers, they're not interested in if you're self-employed. Um, and then, yeah, as I say, we've got other lenders that would want me to say, yes, everything's back to normal and provide three months bank statements. Okay. Yeah. I can see the flow of income steady. We're, we're fine with that. And then others, the second I say they've taken all of the grants, no, we're not interested. Um, but of course, that's the benefit of being whole advice. You know, I've, I've always got an option. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you were saying there as well that they were, so they're asking people there to fill out a questionnaire now. Um, yeah. I mean, it's done through me. So they probably yeah. are doing it. But yes, it's a case of me asking the questions. Did you take the grants? Um, are you able to continue working the current lockdown situation? You know, because obviously if we're looking at a hairdresser, they're still not working um but if as I say if we're looking at a plumber then you know we're on a very different playing field is that the same then for the mortgage holiday scheme because obviously some people would have taken I think you know when we spoke last um there was the first three months that yeah. people could take and at the time they were saying this isn't going to impact on you know on anything moving forwards but then they extended that to another three months 
mm-hmm. and then it was a bit iffy as to whether or not it was going to yeah, impact yeah. or not so, so I mean it's been fabulous because it has meant that people don't have those financial worries um so it's done the job however if you are looking at doing something different down the line so let's say you're thinking of moving the Payment holidays won't impact your credit score. That's completely correct because it's an agreement with the lender. There's no credit score impact. However, if you are looking at moving that particular mortgage, so porting the mortgage to another property, and you're going to say, oh, can I borrow another 100 grand? The lender's going to say, well, hang on. You just told me you were financially impacted, and now you want to go and borrow another 100,000. So no. (laughs) So yes, the the, the, the payment holidays do have an impact if you are planning on doing something different down the road. This could indeed be just remortgaging to another lender. If the current lender, you're currently on a payment holiday and you want to remortgage somewhere else, that mortgage lender is going to say, well, hang on, you're telling them you can't pay your mortgage, but you want to come to me and get a new one. That that doesn't add up either. So the advice is still very much the same from me. If a client phoned me up and said, should I take the payment holiday? Are you going to be able to pay your mortgage holiday, uh, your mortgage next month if you don't take this holiday? It's very black and white. If the answer is no, you take the payment holiday (laughs) because actually if you then can't move six months down the road, it doesn't really matter. The the, the point is, is that you don't have a missed payment on your on your credit file. Yeah. To affect your credit rating. But what about the interest as well? Because I don't think everyone considered that aspect of it. No, you're quite right. Yeah, there are there are loads of people out there who just went, oh, some free free time off my mortgage. <laughs> um, and yes, they do now have that impact because that interest was was still rolling up. Um, and of course, as soon as you then start paying your mortgage again, you're paying at a higher rate because they've added that interest on. So, um, you, you know, th- there is an impact. So, uh, you know, only take it if you cannot pay your mortgage next month. That's and how long boils down to? How long do you think that this will affect? So. For example, if somebody took the mortgage holiday, I can't remember when it was, so April, May, June of last year, and then they're, you know, I know you haven't got crystal ball, we talked about this in the beginning, (laughs) but how long do you think, um, do you foresee that this is going to continue to have an impact? Are we talking about sort of a year, two years, you know, how long, how far back are these mortgage lenders going to go? As long as you are paying your mortgage at the point of you wanting to do anything differently, you will be fine. It's it's purely and simply they want to see that you are comfortable now and that you haven't. It's that it's that tick box exercise, a little bit like with the self-employed element. You know, you can't on the one hand say you're being impacted, but then on the next hand say you're not. (laughs) Um, You know, if if we can see you are back paying your mortgage again, um, then we would be quite comfortable moving elsewhere or moving, you know, those sorts of things. That would be fine. That, that's really helpful. Um, so in terms of improving people's chances of getting a mortgage um, or increasing the amount they want to borrow, it's trying to show a bit of consistency and obviously affordability. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So so with, um, you know, at the moment, the 90 percent lending is as high as we can go on a standard purchase. The 95s are, are a thing of the past currently. Um, obviously Boris has been kindly saying that he wants the 95% back but that doesn't mean they are back (laughs) Um, so you know that will be something I think will be on the agenda later on down the road when there's a little bit more um, things a little bit more steady so of course the best thing to do is to keep saving and build those deposits up Um, although the 90% lending is available you are going to be penalized on rates they aren't as favorable as they would have been pre-covid 
Um, so, you know, if you can get to that 15%, if, if, if you're able to, then that would be fabulous. Um, and then secondly, it's about longevity on income. As much as we can take first pay sit back from furlough, if you've got any other elements of pay, may it be um, car allowance, commissions, bonus, overtimes, we would need to see that consistently for three months. Caveat to that though, is that some lenders aren't even considering the extra elements of income. It's basic income only, um, because of course that's all they can really see is guaranteed moving forward. Um, you know, for example, if you've got a police officer that's got loads of overtime, that's 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 quite understandable, but that would be continuing. But maybe if you had um, someone who's in an industry that could be affected if there were to be any local restrictions in, pla in place, then, you know, that, that would be when an underwriter, again, would want to be seeing more longevity of that income. Yeah, so it's looking at income and also level of deposit. So going back to our, our kind of joke about mum and dad, actually people have been saving more by not going out and spending their money. But actually, if you do need to borrow um, or have a gift from mum and dad, how do lenders view that situation? Because we see yeah. we see those situations quite often. Absolutely, yeah. So again, this is something that's been changing along the way. Um, when, when we sort of first saw the restrictions coming in, um, the main lender that was offering at that 90% level didn't want um, more than 50% of the deposit, or at some point it was 25% actually, to be a gift. The reason for that is because there's a pot of money and they want to be making sure that they're lending to the cream of the crop. They want to be lending to the people that have been able to save the deposit for themselves. Um, that restriction is now gone and we can actually do these mortgages with 100% deposit from mum and dad. Um, and there are situations where mum and dad have perhaps been reassessing things because of the current climate and thinking actually now's a great time to be able to gift that, that money out to the kids and, and get them on the housing ladder. Um, so it, it's one of those things that is changing frequently and, and, and just trying to, you know, keep abreast with what all the lenders are wanting. And, and, and sometimes, in fact, we don't even need evidence of a gift deposit. That's down to the solicitors to work out with the, with the lenders, because um, that's quite a, often a, a question I get asked. What, what do mum and dad need to prove? Um, some lenders have a standard form that they want mum and dad to sign. Um, and others they don't really care because they know the solicitor's going to sort it all for them. <laughs> yeah, they often want it recorded as a gift so that there's no arguments later in terms of lender versus another third party lending. Um, but you can have it as a charge against the property as well if perhaps mum and dad wanted to try and protect their money as far as possible. Absolutely. That is another option. Yeah, absolutely. It's just about making um, the advisor aware of that upfront because lenders see that very differently. <laughs> Yeah, so you've got to be upfront with your situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to be in default of your mortgage no. terms and conditions later on down the line. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so during court proceedings, uh, financial proceedings in particular, we often get ordered for a client to have to go out and get a mortgage capacity report. So the court has evidence as to exactly how much somebody can borrow. Is that something that you can provide? Absolutely. And I've done on several occasions, particularly recently, I think the, uh, the current situation has meant that a lot of people are assessing their personal situations. Um, and, and yes, so this report is something actually that in the basic format I produce for every client. Um, and, and it comes down from an affordability assessment. So that's your, your income, your outgoings, and then what these lenders are prepared to lend based on different size deposits. Um, that is something that I would do a standard for every client and I would take that to their first meeting. So based on the information you provided, this is how much you can borrow. The lending capacity report is pretty much that information but put into a formal format. Um, 
I don't charge for these. I don't charge for any of my advice. I think it's just something that as a professional, I'm able to do as a, as a sort of an add-on service for, for clients. Um, and they, they, they really, it depends on how much information I'm able to gather from a client, but they don't take particularly long to put together either. Um, and that's purely and simply because I'm able to do those affordability calculations with whole of market, I'm aware of criteria, et cetera. So I'm then able to produce that advice report very quickly for them. And would you be happy to actually do it for both parties? Because sometimes it's helpful that they have gone to the same person rather than someone else. And we don't know what information they have or haven't provided. To... Yeah, yeah. And, and there's been several occasions where I've done that for clients and actually just said, right, can you pass me your ex's phone number and I'll, and I'll deal with it. It's no problem. Because, you know, I'm aware that these things are highly emotive. And so if there's anything I can do to sort of reduce the stress for both parties, then I'm, I'm all for that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. You don't have a crystal ball, but what, <laughs> what, what could you maybe predict in the next three to six months in terms of lending and the housing market if we're told in the budget next week that um, the stamp duty holiday exemption is going to go on for another, say, three months? Yeah, I think I think three months would be the minimum, really, that we would need to see a big impact. Anything less than that would help those people that are in those chains feeling very anxious at the moment, thinking, I don't want to pay stamp duty. <laughs> um, that will be great for them if, if, if there's a short extension. Three months, I think, is the minimum we would need in order to see the boost of the economy to continue, um, because that gives us enough time to get the house marketed get a buyer, find a buyer, find a new house, you know, that the whole chain needs to be considered within that 12, 12 weeks. Um, so I think if we see the three months, I think we will see then a, another boost. I'm getting a lot of people emailing me saying the market's just dried up because people know we are in that window now where you're not going to complete before the stamp duty deadline. Um, yeah. So I think we will see a boost. Um, and do you think it's still possible to complete in that time because transactions are taking so long it's not through anyone's fault you know solicitors mortgage advisors surveyors you know they're taking a long time to come back as well everything is just so elongated that you know can we still complete by the end of june yeah yeah absolutely yeah there will still be those questions um and i know that there are certain solicitors that have closed their doors in order to be able to facilitate the service they want to be giving to their customers um, in order to, to facilitate completion at, at the date required. Um, so it will still be a push, absolutely. Um, but I think 12 weeks realistically is the shortest period of time we would be able to, we, we would realistically be able to see a, an impact. So perhaps we'd hope for longer, but the people yeah. are currently saying three months, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And they do seem to have a crystal ball because they always seem to know what the announcements are going to be before they're actually announced. But now I, yeah, I'll give it a little bit more. It's amazing, isn't it? Before every announcement, we've kind of already got the information here. Astounding. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, Mel. Thank you so much. So if anyone wants to get in contact with you, how can they contact you? So they can either contact me by email, so that's melanie at yescandu.com, or my direct dial is 02392-170670. Fabulous. Thank you so much for your time, Mal. You take care. Okay. Yeah, Thank you. you. Bye. Care. If you have any questions or topics you would like covered in a future episode, please email us on family at viscos-law.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, 
or know someone that would, please do feel free to subscribe, review and share on your social media. We would really appreciate the support.